Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, how's it going? Happy Tuesday. Let me get my little buttons pushed here. Okay. Good evening. I hope everybody's had a great day. The weather here in Northern California was kind of settled down today. I know people heard rain like thunder early this morning. My problem is my house is so well insulated and it's always been that way where unless the stuff's like totally on top of me, I don't hear it. So everybody was like posting on Facebook about being awakened by it all. Not me. Didn't hear a darn thing. So I guess I missed out because I, I like thunderstorms and lightning storms. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of lovely Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue or you think you do, we can get to you. It's not a problem, except, you know, depending where you're at, it might take us an hour or two because California is a huge state and we've got mountains and the whole, you know, the whole shebang. So, yeah, it might take us a while. I want to welcome everybody tonight. We've got a great show planned. And if you're watching from Facebook and you're watching and, and, and you enjoy the show, please be sure to hit that like button and you can join me. You know, if you're watching from the uh, events page, join the events page. If you're watching from my regular page, join my regular page. Follow me, right? Follow me. If you're watching from YouTube, there's, hey, I got it right off the bat. There's that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner right there, right in front of you. And if you like what you hear and you haven't done so already, please uh, hit that and that'll take you to sub the subscription button. Because we have more than 480 videos sitting over there that you can subscribe to. Different topics. I don't like to cover the same topics every night, you know, every night. So it varies. So if you peruse all those videos for the last, for the last two or three years, you'll see that, you know, there's different topics, kind of cool topics. Okay. All right. That being said, you know, photo, um, Adobe just did a big update to Photoshop and, and, and Premiere and everything. And you guys know, you know, from this, that I'm wearing my glasses, which I don't see as well through. And it's funny because I'm noticing weird things. And I keep thinking it's my computer. I'm forever yelling this last kind of two or three days, yelling at the computer when I'm working on graphics and stuff, because, Adobe did these. Uh, I'm not a person that reads manuals. I don't like reading technical manuals. When I used to build car models when I was a kid, I never read the instructions. I always just went to the photos. Just like now when I build furniture, like from Ikea, I just look at the pictures, right? But anyway, um, I'm noticing really cool things, but weird, quirky things. Like, like you know, at the end when I always do the way, show the show, show the uh, guest websites and stuff. This one, I always make the upper one at 72 point. And then I have to do the next ones on, on a separate thing. And I have to lower it manually to, to lower the size to fit. And somehow with, with Adobe, with the new updates, you can just click a certain way and it sizes it to fit the space right away. Don't know how. So it's stuff like that. And I keep thinking I'm losing my mind. So I'm going to have to pay better attention because if I have to read, if I have to go in and do it like for reals, it ain't going to happen. You know, I don't know what it does. I don't know what the heck I did. Anyway, welcome, welcome. Um, if you haven't already, too, uh, there is a disc, there is a California Haunts Discord. Look us up or California Haunts. It should be under California Haunts Radio. And uh, the what I call you guys is my ghostly groupies. Yeah, my ghostly groupies. 
but it's fun. It's a fun place. You can, we can go over there. It's like Twitter. You can see pretty much what you want, right? I'm the moderator, so, you know, anything goes. Tonight, our old friend Joshua Cutchins here, and we're going to be talking about, he's got a couple of real neat books out on death and the paranormal. So we're going to be talking about that, and we might just throw in some talk about aliens today, okay? So I think it's going to be a full night of radio for us. I'm real excited to have him back on, and uh, it, it, it's always fun when he comes on. Always fun. You know, that's why I say he's an old friend. So let me get him in, and uh, we will get going here, okay? All right. I see him. He's, he's peeking in. There he is. There he is. He's waving at me. Okay, let's get him out. Let's get him out of the green room. For God's sakes, get the man out of the green room. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Obviously, having you on puts me in a good mood, so here we are. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, you, you, you're so full of energy. I That is in short supply for me nowadays. I have uh, two twins who are about to turn four years old, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed off of your energy right now. I got you. I got you. Okay. So tell me what's been going on, and since for the people that don't know you, tell me about you. Oh wow! Well, when was the last time we spoke? Um, I am. Yeah, it's been a little while. Um, I'm an author and a musician, uh, and my first book was in 2015, and since then I've released, depending on how you count, five or seven books. Um, two of those are two volume series, so that's why I kind of leave some wiggle room. Um. But uh, seven books since then. Uh, I think probably we talked around the last time uh, when "Where the Footprints End" was out, which was yes. my my Bigfoot yes. two parter. Yeah, yes. so I've been I've been keeping pretty busy with all that. Um, I've been involved in a uh, UFO, well, actually, technically a ufology tarot project. Um, not a UFO tarot project, but specifically on like the researchers and stuff in the field, and and basically it's sort of applying those those figures like. Jacques Vallée and Stan Friedman and to, to the major arcana. So that's been keeping me kind of busy. But um, in the meantime, I somehow found time to write the longest thing that I've ever written, which is uh, the two-parter called Ecology of Souls, A New Mythology of Death and the Paranormal. There you go. See? I'm on it. That's it. Yep. <laughs> so tell me how or what got you to start doing research on this. Well, you know, when I take a, a look back at this, um, I see that it was sort of popping up in my life earlier than I thought it would be. So what, what I mean by that is um, a lot of this I didn't have to piece together because I've been thinking about it in the background probably for about uh, four or five years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, f- something that had always really intrigued me the first time I heard it, which I could never get out of my head was uh, during the uh, aftermath, so to speak of Whitley Strieber's communion, which was released in 1987, um, a real touchstone in in UFO alien abduction literature. Mm -hmm. Um, Whitley Strieber uh, began getting a ton of correspondence from other experiencers. And he put his wife Anne in charge of reading a lot of this and sort of looking for patterns and collating a lot of stuff. And uh, he remembered distinctly uh, one day going into their study and seeing that she had gone through all these letters and she had made some observations. And one of those, the one that stuck with him and the one that with me was this has something to do with what we call death. And that's just such a foreign concept to the way that we typically think of alien abductions nowadays that I just couldn't get out of my head. But once you have that in your head, you start seeing these little things here and there. Um, 
there are a lot of cases of people who claim to see dead loved ones in alien abductions. Um, you know, uh, obviously, some people might want to say these are screen memories, but at the same time, some of them do appear to be a little bit more genuine and basically seem to resemble what we would call ghosts. Um, the, the, oh, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I just, oh, well, well, the other thing that really always sort of bugged me <laughs> um, was, you know, anybody who's familiar with my work knows that I'm a big fan of comparisons between uh, fairy folklore, especially of Western Europe, but worldwide, generally speaking, and the UFO alien abduction experience. And if you look at those two things long, start to say, I don't know which interpretation is true, but these definitely seem to be describing phenomena that are at least similar, if not the same thing. Um, and this, of course, was largely um, attributed to Jacques Vallée's 1969 groundworking break, uh, groundbreaking work, <laughs> Passport to Magonia, um, where he said, hey, look, this UFO stuff looks a lot like this fairy stuff. And it occurred to me after looking into the fairy stuff that a lot of these cultures associated the, the fae folk with the dead. I mean, you'd have, you know, people would maybe become fairies after death or, you know, the number of stories where people are prevented from eating eating or drinking in fairyland by someone who had just died, you know, or else you'll stay there forever. Like people see the dead in fairyland and, you know, that there's some indication that the fairies might actually take you after you die and things like that, um, that it made me say, well, if you use the transitive property then and the UFO thing resembles the fairy thing and the fairy thing resembles the dead, because uh, it's the way a lot of these cultures used to think of them uh, before the rise of theosophy and we started talking about nature elementals and all that sort of thing then there does seem to be a real chain of custody between that idea of the dead to the fairies to, to the UFO stuff. So from there, it just really exploded. Um, and uh, I, I said, okay, I'm just, just going to focus on the UFO stuff. But as I got into it, it became very apparent that are there are a lot of ways that we used to think about the soul, the human soul, that we've since lost to time. And rather than write about the UFO stuff and have these constant digressions back to, you know, back and forth between these older ideas. I said, well, let's just write a book about these older ideas. And then really volume two is, is more or less the UFO book. And there's cryptids in there as well. But what I kept finding was that there's this thread of death, more accurately, the thread of the cycle of life and death that runs through all of the paranormal uh, in ways that really surprised me and that I could just, once you start seeing it, for me at least, you can't unsee it. And that's that's my that's my elevator pitch. Now that I'm done. <laughs> well, I've always had you know you know just within the last two years a theory about aliens myself, and that after reading uh, that that uh, and people have heard me say this before, after reading the abduction in the Mojave, and what they described the aliens is doing, when you know for the return trips, made me wonder what exactly is, you know it is that we're hunting, paranormal wise. <laughs> Because they talk about how they can come through walls, how the temperature will drop, you know, yeah. and I mean, that's just, that's classic ghost. Well, and, you know, they, they show up on EVPs, um, mm -hmm. and of course you can't believe everything that an entity tells you on an EVP, but yeah. if they are to be believed, they they, they show up on EVPs, um, they also uh, show up in channeling, you know, and if you look back at the earliest roots of, of UFOs, like pre- mm -hmm. Pre-1947 Kenneth Arnold Flying Saucer, right? If you look really back in, like, the early stuff, um, although in the mid-20th in the mid century as well, but if we look really back into the early stuff, a lot of the early contactees were, were theosophists and spiritualists, and they were always bringing these ideas of reincarnation and, and death in there. I think Kenneth Arnold himself, though, I mentioned that, um, you know, who was sort of responsible for the 
media sensation that coined the phrase flying saucer, he eventually came to believe several very unorthodox things about, about the flying saucers. And one of the things that he believed was that they did indeed have something to do with death, perhaps literally being really far out idea for some people, but the ships that transport us to the afterlife. And there's some reasons to entertain that, not necessarily say it's true, but to entertain that and to look at it in a different way that I find really interesting too. Well, um, the other thing I was going to say when you mentioned EVPs was that that would explain a lot of the EVPs that we get because the EV they're so, you know, a lot of them are so not only not even not the frequencies so much, but they're so far off. Or if you get the ones that sound mechanical, yeah, it's like they're coming from another dimension, literally. Yeah, it does seem that way. And, you know, I, I guess part of what I'd like to emphasize is that like when I, when I first wrote, ecology of souls i said i'm not going to redefine ghosts <laughs> i'm not going to redefine the afterlife like let's just set that to the side the afterlife might be another dimension it might be any number of things let's just try to establish that there's some sort of connection there mm-hmm. and i think that looking at it from that sort of i mean I, I think that uh some of the ideas that i talk about are really sympathetic to what a lot of people would call you know an ultra terrestrial hypothesis the idea that these things are coming from a different dimension and, and you're absolutely right um some of these voices that come back say things and sound in ways that don't seem very human at all. Um, and if, again, if you look back at the history of EVP, you know, it's kind of debatable who quote unquote discovered it. Um, but some of the earliest uh, people who were playing with EVP uh, were also claiming to pick up, you know, intergalactic transmissions and things like that. I mean, honestly, you could go back to uh, Tesla and Edison because they were sort of locked in a race to, generate you know some sort of communication means with the dead and there are all these sort of connections between tesla and possible transmissions from outer space as well so it's it's a challenging topic to tackle right because you're taking these two like sort of almost sacred ideas i mean obviously death and the afterlife is literally sacred to a lot of us but the idea that ufos are extraterrestrials is in its own way sacred to a lot of people as well and you're sort of mashing them together um luckily people have been really receptive to it so i'm i guess it's i'm thankful in that way so did you so a few minutes ago you mentioned the connections and stuff what are without giving the whole books away what are some of the connections that 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 you're seeing well, so one idea that struck me early on was, um, you know, could these beings be, as I alluded to earlier, sort of in charge of, of helping us with that transition? And if you uh-huh. take a look at these sort of figures that we see throughout mythology and, and folklore that are called psychopomps, um, th- there seem to be a lot of similarities that you begin to notice, um, not the least of which um, these psychopomps, uh, you, you probably recognize some of them, uh, listeners would, Um Anubis from Egypt, Hermes from the Greek pantheon, um, even the Grim Reaper, you know, sort of a folk uh, mm-hmm. psychopomp character. And you start to find a lot of similarities between the ways that they act and the things that they carry. I mean, a lot of these psychopomps have, you know, wands or staves. And, you know, how many examples do we have in the abduction literature of, of the beings holding similar things? Just mm-hmm. say nothing of, you know, fairies <laughs> having wands right. and staves. But these psychopomps could also be natural phenomena. Um oftentimes aerial phenomena. You know, the sun was something that rose, was reborn every day, and sometimes in some beliefs would carry the souls to the underworld, but also animals. And as it just so happens, some of the most common psychopomp animals are some of the most common animals that we see in connection with the UFO phenomenon. The example that I love to use is is uh, the owl, which had a lot of uh, 
ideas of being sort of a messenger between worlds and uh, and sort of in some cultures literally taking or guiding people across the veil into the afterlife and that's been extensively chronicled in the literature and the work of my my friend Mike Clellan so that's that's one thing that I found really compelling early on the other thing that I think um, really sort of allowed me me personally to, to sort of grasp the concept was the other psychopomp symbol that you see a lot of is means of transportation as a metaphor for going to the afterlife. And we're all familiar with, you know, Karen's uh, ferry crossing the river Styx. Um, but also you see this sort of idea of the afterlife being someplace that has to be traveled to. It's, you know, it lies beyond the horizon. It lies beyond a mountain range. And, and a ship is oftentimes the, the, the symbol across a lot of different cultures. I mean, you know, the Norse had their, their uh, Viking burials, you know, in ships. People would be interred in ships. And ancient China, um, ships would also be used as coffins. Um, in fact, some of our earliest coffins were actually repurposed ships. So the ship has always been a symbol of of transportation into the afterlife. And then you take that idea and you look at the UFO phenomenon, and, and it's this transportation-obsessed question. Like, that's all the questions that we ask about it, right? Like, where do they come from? <laughs> where are they going? <laughs> where are they going to take me? How do they get here? And I wonder, um, and this might be a little bit too philosophical, I guess, for some people, but I wonder what happens when a, when a global culture maps every continent and knows that the afterlife doesn't lie beyond that mountain range, it doesn't lie across the horizon at the sea, it doesn't lie under the, under the earth, as we once thought. What happens to that need for, for the afterlife? Like, where do we put that? And I would argue that we put it, you know, in the stars. I mean, the stars mm -hmm. have always had connotations with the afterlife in general so it literally is the, the ufo is a vessel of transportation that comes from the other world and, and comes here and you know leaves here with people sometimes apparently so it, it seems to map onto that older idea of the psychopompic boat in, in a lot of really um neat and tidy ways well this would mean i mean if, if, if this is what's happening and then there and that that's what happens to us after we pass does this mean that we're all hybrids already and we don't realize it? Well, yeah. So my my editor, Barbara Fisher, uh, who, is, who is a fantastic human being, she runs the uh, Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. Um, Barbara took me aside. <laughs> I mean, I guess as you can do over, over Zoom. But at one point she's like, Josh, you know that it's not really all about death, right? It's about death and, and, and rebirth. And I said, yeah, it is. But, you know, death is sort of the gateway drug for that. But... Tied into that question, I think, is that idea of of reincarnation. And I think that speaks very much to, to what you're getting at as well. I I suspect that I suspect, and I have no way to prove this, but that uh there's just a pool of energy on the other side that gets scooped up and, and dropped back out. And just in the same way that the rain falling in California, <laughs> as you alluded to, um, that rain may have you know, each raindrop may have molecules in it that once, you know, fell in India or once fell in, you know, I don't know, uh, Oregon and, you know, all over the world. Uh -huh. It's comprised of a lot of different stuff. And sometimes I think that maybe we're comprised of a lot of different things, which may very well be every living thing in the universe on the other side. And we just sort of get scooped up and reassigned. Um, what I like about that idea is that for me, it handily answers a couple of questions which people seem to pose when they want to sort of tear down these subjects. So, you know, you'll get people who say, 
well, how can how can there be you know fifteen people who say that they're the reincarnation of Napoleon Bonaparte? Shouldn't there just be one? And it's like, well, no, maybe each of them have a piece of Napoleon or something like that. Um, and then you know you have some of this literature that's long been regarded as a little bit far out, uh, even amongst alien abduction researchers, of people who claim that a part of them uh, is you know a gray alien or something. They have a dual yeah. soul, and I think that's another way of looking at it. Um, you know, another way that sort of speaks to that hybridization theme that you're they were referring to is uh, these older ideas that I had to dig into uh, really sort of shed some light on that for me. And there's this idea that we, I mean, you'll find this in, in ancient Norse cosmology, Egyptian cosmology, First Nations cosmology in the uh, in, in North America and in South America to agree. This idea that we had multiple souls. Um, you know, it's called poly, it's, uh, you know, uh, researchers refer to it as polypsychism nowadays, the idea that you have a lot of different souls inside of you, but it's this idea that there are these different conflicting pieces and that you're not just this one, one body, one soul, uh -huh. you know, idea. And I think that maybe something like that is, is sort of at play as well. And that allows some, some very oppositional forces to reside within us that sort of look a lot like, you know, hybrids. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's just, it's a fascinating topic. And how, and when you started to do the research on this, how difficult was it or, or was it difficult? Well, you know, as I said, I, I'd been thinking about it for a while. So I had some ideas of where I needed to go. Mm -hmm. But um, it was, it, it ended up being pretty difficult, I'll be honest. Um, in some ways, um, not to not to build myself up too much, but in some ways it did feel like I was guided because it went by incredibly quickly. Um, I think I had, oh, wow. I think I had a full first draft in about nine months um, wow. uh, with about six months of research before that. So, and, and, and it's a book, um, you know, I have an endnote problem. <laughs> so it's got like 4,500 endnotes. There's actually um, anyone who ends up picking up will know that, there are endnotes, but there's no bi uh, bibliography or or actual references at the end of the book, and that's because it turned out being so big that not only did I need to split it into two books, but there's actually a third companion book that is just the reference material. So it's three appendices, endnotes, and the bibliography. Um, that's available in print, or it's available free from my website because you know if you buy the book, you should <laughs> be able to see where the endnotes are. So, right, right, but that's, right. it was just a it was just a function of physical size. Um, the ebook, obviously, that's not a problem. So uh, it, it was challenging. And, and part of the challenge was that you end up casting such a broad net that you end up looking at things that seem like they have nothing to do with these phenomena. But as um, the late French researcher of UFOs, Ami Michel, once said, um, and I think this is such a, such a true statement, he said, uh, UFOs are the only subject where you start out looking at things in the sky and you end up reading about Arab mystics, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's definitely like you end up sort of with this voracious appetite for all sorts of things. And you see how we folded a lot of these ideas into uh -huh. this modern mythology. And I don't use the term mythology disparagingly. I think there's an objective right. reality to this stuff, but it, it, it does have a sort of mythological framework that's built up around it. Right. And when you're talking about, because earlier you mentioned like, like different Greek gods and, and some of the fairies, do you think, it, I mean, it's obvious that, Ancient people, if they saw the aliens, wouldn't know what to make of them anyway, so they would make them into different gods and stuff, right? I mean, to make them into their own image so that it wasn't so scary and whatnot. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a bit of a 
of an iconoclast when it comes to this and because I just sometimes like being a contrarian, right? So I, I like to say that no, 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 they had it right and we've gotten it backwards. Like we're right. we're seeing these ancient we're seeing these ancient gods and going, oh, they must have seen space people that they assigned to gods. And it's like, no, maybe sure. there was something that was a little bit more like these sort of divine presences. Um and that there was literally a, a Poseidon or there was little literally a Ra or there was, you know, literally a Thor. But to say that there were certain powers um, that, w to our eyes today, I suspect, again, this is just my own personal preference, but certain powers that would look a lot more paranormal or you know, supernatural mm -hmm. than, than like, you know, flesh and blood aliens. Although the ancient astronaut hypothesis certainly remains on the table. There's mm -hmm, a, lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of compelling evidence for that. And how do we know that there weren't people already here, you know, as, as we started to evolve, that were controlling stuff? already you know from other planets we don't know that oh yeah i mean i i'm i'm definitely uh a big fan of the idea that a lot of what we think we know about the ancient past is conjecture at best and i think that i think that at the very least human civilization has risen and fallen more times than we actually know um and that there might have even been a global civilization you know prior to our modern world um, but also that, you know, there might have been forces that have come from elsewhere. Um, I think that one of the you know big things about, I don't know if you remember the Oumuamua um, interstellar object that came through, but um, one of the big takeaways from that for me was that it, it sort of proved, I mean, I, I don't use that word lightly, it proved that the idea of something like panspermia is, is definitely feasible, that, that it, an object could travel um, into our solar system from outside the solar system and impact on earth and, you know, bring any number of things with it from, you know, simple life to more advanced complex life, perhaps. Now I've interviewed people who have talked about seeing their dead loved ones on these ships when they, you know, go aboard. Are they, yeah. I mean, some I've heard say that, do they think it's like a hologram, you know, to calm them down? Some people swear up and down it was their dead relatives. What's your take on that? I mean, do you think they're that it's a real thing, or is it something to calm people down? Well, that that that's absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, I, I love it when I hear people say, "No, this this is a thing that happens," because I don't feel like the alien abduction researchers, the people who are just terrestrial hypothesis, are really even willing to admit that as much. Um, so it always mm -hmm. sort of makes me smile when I hear people co confirm that. Um, <clears throat> I think it could be. I hate to be a fence sitter, but I think it could be one of two things. I mean, you know, people ask me about what I think UFOs are, and, and I always say it's it's probably a combination of a lot of things. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, probably the UFOs themselves are 80% misidentifications, and that remaining 20% is everything from psi phenomena to misunderstood weather, uh, meteorological phenomena to an orthodox terrestrial aircraft to, yeah, aliens. Like, <laughs> I think it's a, probably a combination of that, that extra 20%. And I think that something similar might be going on here. It's not just a one or either or sort of answer. Um, because, you know, even if you take a stance that these are more metaphysical interactions than, than actual physical interactions, there's still loads of examples um, from ancient texts the world over and folklore that a lot of these entities can, you know, shapeshift. And oftentimes, especially in the fairy literature, if you look at the fairy stuff, like it's very common for the fairies to take on the shape of a, of a friend or a loved one and sort of lure children or something, you know, to, to come with them. So I think sometimes it's deception. And I think that sometimes it probably is um, 
just what it seems to be. I, I do suspect that. I mean, there's no way to, there's, the problem is there's no way, even in something that's as unfalsifiable as the UFO question, there's, right. there's no way to tell, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. my other thought was while you were saying that too, is the our bodies are pretty much a shell. I mean, we know that the soul goes wherever the soul goes at, after we pass. So maybe that's the deal is that once, once, the, once our soul goes, it goes back to whatever the main host was. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I, I'm very sympathetic to that. Let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. That that there's there's something, you know, it, it it always sort of blows my mind when I when you talk to people who just think that we're squishy robots. You know, <laughs> I I never I never I never got on board with that. But I think that there is some sort of connection that, and there it, there is a strongly implied sense that we're part of a greater whole. I think there's there's a reason that so many spiritual metaphors talk about you know rivers flowing to the sea you know everything sort of rejoining together and i think host is a good way to put that well and i was just thinking too a second ago you, you got me thinking about all this stuff now um like the out-of-body experiences that people have like like when they're in in, in the hospital you know and they get out of their body and they're staring back at, back at the body that they had you know maybe at that point of death you end up going to that other dimension that you that 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 you came from yeah and and i would i would sort of add to that that um to 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 sort of fold that back into the ufo thing like Mm -hmm. the number of alien abductions and it's not again we're not gonna say all or none but like the number of alien abductions that resemble out-of-body experiences is staggering you know yes i i lift it up i mean some people literally feel like their abduction is taking place on some sort of astral level they're actually able to see their body left behind but you know, but they're they've been conditioned by so much pop culture to think that it's like a tractor beam pulling their body up. But like sometimes, like, no, that's me back there, you know. And here I am, here I am, somehow levitating. Now, of course, you know, there's a monkey wrench thrown in there, uh, a couple of different reasons. Uh, the first of which, uh, which I still have not found a good solution for, is um, you know, whenever cars are moved in alien abductions, there's actually a lot of cases where people's cars are physically moved. Now, do cars have souls? I can make an argument for that, but it's not an especially one. Um, so that's that's one th- one sort of difficulty you have to overcome if you say that alien abductions are unfolding on the astral level. The other sort of the other sort of problem is that people will say, well, if it's unfolding on the astral level, why do people come back with you know marks and disfigurements and scoop marks and stuff like that? That's a little bit easier for me because if you look at things like stigmata. Um, where you know people sort of take on the personification of, of Christ in their lives, and they end up with you know nail wounds in their palms and bleeding from the scalp like the crown of thorns. It seems to be roughly analogous to that. People have received uh, physical wounds from dreams. Uh, so Jenny Randall's documented some of that in some of her work. Um, but also, uh, there was this idea. I mean, if you look at if you look at a lot of the werewolf literature um, from you know. The medieval area and western medieval era in western europe you'll mm-hmm. find that um yeah there were some physical transformations but often as not it was this idea that the magical practitioner's soul would leave and either their soul would be as a wolf because sometimes these multiple souls that we talked about would have an animal form mm-hmm. or that their soul would actually inhabit a wolf but the thing is that wounds inflicted upon the wolf even though the sleeper was still in their bed, right? Wounds inflicted upon the wolf that they had sort of, for lack of a better term, possessed would be mirrored on their physical body as well. So that seems like maybe it's a, a, a workaround 
if these oh. alien abductions are astral, that you know, well, if something is inflicted upon the 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 soul, it's sort of reflected on the on the physical form as well. Absolutely. And doing you know, and going through your research, what stood out to you the most? Um meaning uh what surprised me the most or what was yeah. the thing that kept coming up? What's what surprised me the most? I <laughs> I have not really gotten a chance in any of my work to talk about lake monsters, and I've always had a soft spot for lake monsters. Um and there is uh, this great book by Michel Merger uh, called Lake Monster Traditions. Uh, you know, back when I wrote Where the Footprints In with Tim Renner, some mm -hmm. people were like, oh, it's Passport to Magonia for Bigfoot. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. I, I love that. That's awesome because I love Jacques Vallée. I love Passport to Magonia. That makes me feel real good. I'm going to do a Passport to Magonia for Lake Monsters. And then I picked up Michelle Merger's Lake Monster Traditions. And I'm like, oh, no, it's it's already been done. And that book is is looking at a lot of the ways that um, sort of the deeper symbolic uh, aspects of Lake Monsters. And something that really stuck with me uh, probably my, honestly my favorite thing that I learned from the book was uh, lake monsters can be viewed as a death symbol as well. And this requires a little bit of explanation, but a lot of these lake monsters um, are connected to logs. What I mean by that is to say that a lot of modern skeptics will say that lake monsters are logs. You know, there's this common idea that decaying logs on the bottom of the lake will pop up and that'll look like, you know, a monster coming up. Right. But also even before that, in a lot of these indigenous tales, um, you'll find that these lake monsters could sometimes transform into logs. Um, they can sort of become logs at will. And Michel Merger points out that uh, the log is very closely related to the coffin. And the way that he sort of makes this connection is he says, well, you know, logs were our first boats. Like you, <laughs> the earliest person ever wanted to travel across a river, probably sat on a log and paddled over. But even more explicitly, you know, our dugout canoes were a log that you'd take and you'd char it out and you'd sort of dig the dig the canoe out. So logs <clears throat> um, carry with them these, these funereal associations, these coffin associations. And... Uh, so do, you know, trees in general. Carl Jung once uh, referred to uh, the tree as sort of being totenbaum, the sort of death tree, the idea that it is explicitly a death symbol. So that really stuck out to me because you look at something like Lake Monsters, and you're like, what does this have to do with death? But then you start peeling back that onion, and it just keeps yielding more and more results. Um, and, uh, and, and where I wound up with Lake Monsters... Um, I'm not going to say where I wound up with Lake Monsters, not yeah. because I'm being coy, not because I'm being coy and I'm like by the right, book, right, but it's right, it's right. it's a little bit it's a little bit it's a little bit insider baseball and going deeper into the weeds sure. than we probably should. <laughs> but okay. where I wound up where I wound up with Lake Monsters really ended up blowing my mind. So I think the Lake Monster thing is what just absolutely just floored me. And and the other interesting thing about Lake Monsters that people don't really always appreciate, um, I have a lot of gripes with cryptozoologists. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Uh, I'm not invited to cryptozoology conferences. <laughs> um, is that uh, as much as people want to think that lake monsters are some sort of physical creature, um, there's so much high strangeness around lake monster mm -hmm. reports. I mean, it's it's insane. You know, uh, Loch Ness is also a sort of minor UFO hotspot. There are men in black that pop up around Loch Ness. Um, mm -hmm. You know, famously, Aleister Crowley, one of the most famous uh, magicians of all time, uh, had a house at uh, had a, had a residence at Boleskine House on the shores of Loch Ness, and it's like, 
okay, was he just really into dinosaurs? Like, <laughs> why would you why would you do that unless you would be drawn for some specific reason? Not right. that I'm a not that I'm a Crowley fan at all, but like, I think it's I think that he probably had a had a good uh, had a good sense of where the strangeness was. So you know, th there are rumors of. Uh, ancient monuments on the on, on the floor of Loch Ness as well it's it's just it's oh. it's surprising the number of oddities and you can sort of find that in a lot of other uh lake monster examples in Lake Mills Wisconsin in uh, I believe it's called Lake Astlin they have a lake monster legend and they also just so happen to have little pyramidal structures on the bottom of the lake that nobody really knows where they came from so it's just Lake monsters are weirder than I think a lot of pe people appreciate. It's not just a big dinosaur if it's even a dinosaur. Yeah. Now, the second part of that question that I had, what kept cropping up that stood out to you? What kept cropping up that stood out to me? Um, so there's this phrase that I ended up repeating um, throughout the book. And in some ways, it's sort of the thesis of the book, which is this idea of, uh, of dying to death. And what I mean by that is if you look at um, a lot of the, the research that's been done into things like alien abductions, um, there's a great uh, study uh, pioneered by Ray Hernandez called the FREE study. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but they found that um, a lot of people who had experienced contact with non-human intelligences sort of shed their fear of death in a big way. I think it's something, some staggering amount, something like you know, two thirds of all respondents. And it was a huge study. And I may have those numbers quite wrong, but the idea is it's, it's a significant amount, right? And if you take that idea of sort of being unafraid of death after these experiences, you see that across all these things. I mean, it's obviously something that people come back from near death experiences with. But then you look at things like uh, psychoactive substances, which I think that altered states of consciousness have a certain role to play in explaining these phenomena. People are using things like psilocybin for terminal end-of-life care because what happens is people take it and a lot of their anxiety about their impending death just sort of falls away. And then you look at things like these ancient mystery schools, you know, like Eleusis, um, where people would go on some sort of, for lack of a better term, pilgrimage, and they'd come back and they'd be changed. And in a lot of the the sort of, we don't quite know what happened at places like Eleusis. We do think that there was some sort of subterranean element and maybe there were some psychoactive substances used, but what you find in all the literature that emerged from around uh, Eleusis and just when describing why people went there in the first place, you'll find that there are allusions to, again, no longer fearing death, dying to death. And the idea I think is, you know, it's something that you see across a lot of different spiritualities is that if you can sort of shed that fear of losing your mortal self, you're actually freed, you know, paradoxically, you're freed not only to live the life that you've been given and to make the most of it, but a lot of pressure is taken off and you can actually sort of set your, uh, set your sights to, to loftier ambitions uh, in terms, especially in terms of your spiritual development in terms of helping other people. Absolutely. Well, how long did it take you to write the first book? Uh, I began researching in October of 2020 and started writing in, in March of 2021, 2021, completed writing in January of 2022, and then it was edited after that. Um, so yeah, it was about, it was about nine months and about six months of research beforehand. And, and honestly, I, I really don't know how I did it. I mean, I, I just don't know how I did it. Um, it's about 265,000 words, which if memory serves is probably a third the length of the Bible. And like, I'm not, 
I'm kind of proud of that, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's an accomplishment, but I'm like, I'm also kind of not proud of that because I do think that, like, you know, as Shakespeare said, brevity is the soul of wit. And obviously, I have a problem with not being brief, but mm-hmm. it just kept the topic just kept giving to me and giving to me. And it just that's why it became like, it's not about UFOs and death, it's about like the whole of the paranormal. I ended up talking about near death experiences and out of body experiences. Um, Obviously, these, you know, altered states of consciousness. I mean, the number of these psychoactive substances that have some sort of link to death in their mythology is staggering. Like, people talk about ayahuasca a lot. Ayahuasca means vine of the dead or vine of souls. Like, the idea is that it puts you in that that sort of space. Talk about the old fairy traditions. Um, but also things like, you know, these ancient monuments. Like, you know, the stone circles and the, the burial mounds that we see both in, you know, uh, Western Europe and in the United States. A lot of these sites were, you know... Were, were burial sites there were sepulchral sites even if they didn't start out that way they'd be places where people would end up burying their dead afterward and then you know talking about things like ley lines like what, what do ley lines have to do with all this well if you look at some of the uh some of these uh straight roads in 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 europe but i mean also you can find analogs in south america these mayan roads called sekbeab they're always these straight lines and uh the work of paul Devereux suggests that they indicate the path that the spirit would take um that the spirit would take from you know the the church to the home or the church to the graveyard right and uh that has a lot of correspondences to things like ley lines because a lot of these straight lines do sort of connect these ancient monuments which are sites where there's association with death which are now known as paranormal hotspots. so you can see how it just sort of like i mean i'll be honest with you it kind of got out of hand (laughs) but but um i think it was a good decision to sort of talk about all that stuff so that mm-hmm. once you got to the so that once you got to the ufo stuff and i started talking about things like the wandering soul and polypsychism and you know spirit roads you didn't i didn't have to like you know spend another three paragraphs talking about something else so that was the decision and and it ended up being um it ended up being comprehensive and i'm not again i'm not saying that i have a monopoly on the truth i'm not saying that any of this is objectively true but what what really i walked away with was that this model um worked for me and and it explained a lot of things that i just had no other way of explaining with the extraterrestrial hypothesis with the interdimensional hypothesis it made a lot of things make a lot more sense at the very least on a symbolic level so that's what i found really appealing about it cool tell me about the wandering soul you brought that up yeah so the wandering soul um is this idea that at certain points our soul is separable um this might be your singular soul if you believe in your singular soul it might be one of your many souls if you adhere to a polypsychic model but it was this idea that at certain times uh your soul was loosely tethered to your body and these might be things like sleep uh trance uh, during trauma during illness these were all times when your soul might go off and sort of do its own thing right there are a lot of beliefs you'll find in a lot of different cultures james frazier talks about this in the golden bell um about not waking people up or not startling people when they're in a trance or something because the idea is that that bond between body and soul is so weak that their soul may never come back um it seems like a lot of the witches sabbats uh were were actually perhaps happening in astral form people weren't literally going off and writing on witches sabbaths there are a lot of illusions in the medieval literature of people remaining at home their bodies 
while they were also seen at a witch's Sabbath. So it seems to be describing that sort of wandering soul idea. But one of the most important things with the wandering soul is this idea of the doppelganger, which we're all very familiar with. Right. And the doppelganger does seem to be part of this wandering soul idea. And the doppelganger, which is a double of yourself that you see or someone else sees, really bad if you see it, um, was often regarded as a death omen. And what I sort of discovered over the course of my work is that it's not a death omen in the sense that it causes death, but more that it's a symptom of death. It means that your body, the, the bond between your body and soul is weak enough that your soul can go out wandering. And it means that you're probably not doing so good. <laughs> um, so there was this idea that, uh, that if your soul were to uh, wander, you, you might be uh, close to death. And believe it or not, I found a way to, <laughs> I found a way to make that, uh, I found a way to tie that into the UFO lore as well. I mean, people see clones of themselves sometimes aboard craft. And the question is, well, is that a clone or is that a doppelganger? Because those are, are in a lot of ways very different things. And uh, even the UFOs themselves is an idea that Carl Jung played with in his uh, essay on flying saucers. He sort of played with the idea of the UFO as an exteriorized soul. And now today in 2020 in America, we're like, what the heck does that mean? But if you look at this wandering soul idea, then you're like, oh, I can I can see that. Like the soul is often conceptualized as a an orb of light or a ball of light. Like you hear this all the oh. time in the parapsychological literature. And what are a lot of these UFOs? A lot of times they're balls of light. So this idea that like it might actually be, I don't know, the witness's soul, someone else's soul out wandering um, mm -hmm. is an idea that, that I think is worth playing with. It's prom a promise that makes a lot more sense when you read <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> no, I get it. Because uh, Time yeah. Life, um, many, many years ago, had a series on supernatural stuff. And they actually, yes. uh, yeah, and they had the one book on Irish lore and stuff about the doppelganger looking, you know, when you're looking in a mirror, if you see yourself standing over your shoulder, it was supposed to be imminent death. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and and man, I love that the, the old time life stuff and the old uh, the Reader's Digest yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, those are those are so good. Um, the modern ones that they put out not as good, but the, but the, but a lot of those old ones are just fantastic. And and yeah, so it, it might mean death. And what you sort of start to see across the literature is that, um, you know, obviously a doppelganger isn't a definite signifier that you're going to die because a lot mm -hmm. of saints bilocated all the time, you know, <laughs> to no ill effect. A lot of people see their doppelgangers or people see, say, hey, I could have sworn I saw you, right. selling, you know, at the grocery store and nothing happens. Right. So there does seem to be this idea that your soul can sort of wander around. There's a great um, native American tale. I'm sorry. I can't recall off the top of my head, which tribe it is. I like to be as specific as I can when I talk about these things, but there's one mm -hmm. tale of a woman who was walking behind her husband. And she, they came to a fork in the path, and she watched as her husband split into two, <laughs> and she ended up, she ended up uh, following uh, what she believed was her husband's physical form. And then, as the trail met back up, two forms merged once more, and she realized that if she'd followed his other form, she might have never come back. Um, so you do see these stories about people sort of having the separation of the soul and it being just fine. And of course, that idea of the soul separating really does tie into things like you know what are dreams where do we go when we dream what is sleep paralysis like these are all questions that end up getting asked and you know I, I, again it's another reason the whole project got away from me is because every insight sort of offered new questions like well i can't not talk about that now uh, because right. it has bearing on something else yeah well yeah and i mean it's it, 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 it's true like when you even when you investigate the paranormal that a lot of people, when, when they have paranormal experiences, it's always that time before they fall asleep. 
just before they fall asleep. You know, they're right at that point where it's almost a almost a meditation state. You know, where, where this happens. Yeah, and you know, I, I've come to suspect that um, that the whole sleep paralysis thing might might not be the equivalent of your your car breaking down in a bad neighborhood you know <laughs> like you know you're, you're you're returning back to your body and it stalls at the last minute and you're like oh this is where all the low level stuff is um you know I, I found an interesting study uh it's in the book can't remember the guy's name but they they discovered that when amplical when electrical amplification electrical stimuli was applied to the brain they could actually induce some of these states and they found out that the higher the amplitude the more likely you were to have a full-fledged out-of-body experience and the lower the amplitude, the more likely you were to have something that looked a lot more like sleep paralysis. And uh, I was like, that's that's really funny, because when you think about the entities that people meet during out-of-body experiences, they're often these light and airy and happy you know, entities, and the entities that people meet in sleep paralysis are these negative entities. And, and what, is, what do a lot of people call these things? They call them high vibration and low vibration. I'm like, high mm-hmm. vibration, high amplitude, <laughs> low vibration, low amplitude. Is there something really to that? Um, to that idea you know it's, it's fascinating so talking about aliens and their connection with all this you know and as far as abductions go why do you think there is why do you think there's alien abductions then if this is all going on well um so i think that if ecology of souls does anything well because it, tree re- it retreads a lot of ground that people will find familiar I think it's to say, hey, let's let's let all these things play together really nicely. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, uh, in the in the nineteen eighties, uh, Eddie Bullard uh, released uh, UFO abductions: Measure of a Mystery, and he, to me, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that a lot of these modern alien abduction experiences look a lot like shamanic initiations across various cultures. Shamanism being a broad term for medicine men, medicine right. women, cunning women. It's just a broad term that we're going to use here. Um, and then of course, you know, in the nineties, Kenneth ring comes along and releases the Omega project, which says, Hey, these alien abductions look a lot like near death experiences. (laughs) And so you have these two different things and you say, well, a lot of these, these, uh, these initiations with, you know, magical practitioners and indigenous cultures are near death experiences. Like sometimes they literally are ordeals where they're buried, buried alive and brought back or, or they're given substances or they're pushed to the brinks of, uh, of 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 what they can withstand you know they're they're either basically hurt or something there's always some sort of like sort of near-death component with a lot of these um, initiations not all the time but oftentimes so it does seem like we're talking about three things there and i think that uh the alien abduction scenario might be sort of a reinvention of that it's it's the same space, in other words, right? So it, I'm not sure if it's always sort of basically a shamanic initiation. I'm not sure if it's always sort of a near-death experience. You know, it might be soul maintenance. I mean, Lori Barnes, who was a colleague of uh, Whitley Strieber's, said that she believed that some of them were, were soul techs. They would just sort of like check on your... It's like I've got, you've got your 3,000-mile uh, checkup on your soul, and they've just got to check in on you. Um, you know, and, and the implication, therefore, is that a lot of us have these experiences, and we just don't consciously recall them. Um, but, uh, so, so that might be a little bit of what's going on. I mean, in a lot of these, uh, indigenous cultures, there was the concept of soul theft. Uh, and that was one of the shaman's duties was that, you know, if you experienced your soul being abducted by some sort of malevolent entity, it was their, their job to astrally go and collect your soul and bring it back to earth. And so I, you know, I kind of wonder if some of these alien abduction experiences aren't 
aren't that sort of soul theft idea coming back. Um, it, it, you know, who's to say? And in a way that kind of explains, you know, some of those reports of people that go that have illnesses. And then when they come back, there's no more illnesses. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, that was something that, you know, soul theft was practically synonymous with, with, physical illness you know that was the way that a lot of these cultures thought of it they didn't think oh you know you contacted a virus and you've got you know or you know you, you got sick like that they'd say oh no something has come and taking your soul and it's right. sort of manifesting right. these symptoms so yeah you're absolutely right and you know that's, that's the other thing is that like <laughs> the number of alien abduction stories that contain some sort of spiritual message i mean you know these are not these are not characters out of an Arthur C. Clarke novel. You know, these are not atheistic emissaries from another planet. They right. they seem to be intensely interested with with how we are spiritually. Now, some people, you know, you know, I'm a Christian myself, but some people take right. that to its extreme and say, oh, it means that they're demons because they're doing all these things and they, you know they're they're right. really interested in our souls. And I'm like, well, maybe maybe there are angels and there are demons, but maybe there's a lot of stuff in between that has sort of a flexible uh, affiliation if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's certainly what the fairy lore would seem to suggest. You know, there were bad fairies and there were good fairies, but a lot of those in between were just sort of like, they could be good or bad, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, then that brings you to uh, like, not only fairy lore, but you look at religions and, and demonology and all this stuff. And, and maybe that's what they're talking about. I mean, that's like anybody else. There's good aliens and there's bad aliens. And when people were in contact with these things or whatever they are, that's how they, that's how they they put them yeah and i can't emphasize this enough i think that's a great point and and to sort of build off that like i'm not sure that angel demon alien fairy you know uh, ascended master higher self i'm not sure that any of these terms are actually an accurate objective read of what these things are i just mm -hmm. think that, i just think that they exist in some form or fashion absolutely absolutely so um, as you were doing the research, how willing were people to talk to you or, or what kind of research did you draw from? Well, um, I have a, a pretty good library uh, that I was able to sort of take a look at. I also have a lot of um, a lot of periodicals uh, that have that are searchable. So that helps a lot, too. Um, I, I did work with some witnesses directly. Um, you know, it's kind of funny uh, when I started out trying to get people to share their experiences with me was a little bit more difficult because <laughs> it's like, who are you? What are you going to do with my name? That sort of thing. But right. it's gotten a little bit easier to say, Hey, you know, with every, with every book, it gets a little bit easier to say, Hey, look, I've got this other stuff out there. I got a lot of other anonymous people in these books. You can be anonymous too. If you want to share it, do I have your permission? Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I had a great, uh, I had a great witness who stepped forward and she uh, actually allowed me to use her, her full name. But she and her boyfriend at the time um, were at, on Mackinac Island at a Halloween party, and they both saw a UFO. But um, <laughs> the curious thing is, it was a very unconventional UFO. Her boyfriend saw basically like this amoeba jellyfish-like pink thing going through the sky. Or I think she saw that. That's right. Memory serves. She saw that, and her her partner saw basically the equivalent of a giant Native American Thunderbird. <laughs> and they, but they both, but they both said, "Look at that!" And then afterwards, they're like, "What did you see?" And they had completely different answers. And you know, the the bird thing—it's really interesting. I've got to say, there are some stories of people who say that UFOs turn into birds. Um, mm -hmm. That's another—that's a perfect example of something that I didn't know what to do with before I started Ecology of Souls. But 
once you look at like all these older traditions, birds and souls have been synonymous for a long time, a very long time. And right. truly universal. I mean, I, I don't use that term lightly either. I mean, it's every every continent has multiple cultures that think of the bird as a soul. Um, mm -hmm. That's the way that they envision it. So that does tie back into this idea of the UFO as an exteriorized soul, if it can some, somehow take the shape of a bird and, of course, brings back in the owls that are seen around UFOs. And Right. It's a big mess. It's a big cobweb mess. <laughs> it's like a but spider's web. Stories. I mean, I had a gentleman on here a few months ago that talked about that, how the UFOs are pro somehow they're programming these UFOs like the ones you see in Mount Shasta, like supposed ones in Mount Shasta, you know, for instance. And how they're they're set to look like different shapes so that they don't don't alarm people and people can't tell yeah. they're there. And so the question becomes: Is that technology, or is that them somehow interacting with us? With our brains? Yeah, with our brains, or what? And you mentioned like, that's another fascinating thing. Is um, you know, a lot of UFOs are purported to have bases in mountains and volcanoes. We right. hear this all the time all around the world. Right. Well, mountains were places where fairies lived, mountains and hills and such. But the reason why is because mountains resembled burial mounds and mountains were often thought in a lot of medieval in a lot of medieval thinking uh, mountains were believed to be where the dead would go there are even some russian euphemisms for dying that where they'd say they didn't die they went to the mountain like that's what they'd say mm -hmm. and it's just like man is that coincidence or <laughs> or is there something else going on you know well i was just thinking too when you talk about her seeing one thing him seeing the other when i was in journalism school they do that thing where they want you to be observant. So they'll run somebody through the room. It's, it's like the police do. And the idea is to write down what you see. Well, the thing is, not everybody sees the same thing. Right. So that's interesting, too. You know, there's, this, it, there's this interesting book that my friend Soraya Azkath brings up a lot called The Invisible Gorilla. And it's all about perception. And uh, the basis for it was a YouTube video that I think is still out there. Well, where the, you can show someone the video and you can say, keep your eye on the basketball. And they'll, you know, keep their eye on the basketball. And at the end, you say, did you see the gorilla? I'm like, what? <laughs> and what it is, is in the middle of the video, someone walks through the people playing basketball, right? clearly walks right through them in a gorilla costume. And most people don't see the guy in the gorilla costume because they're mm -hmm. so focused on watching the ball. So that suggests a lot about the way that our brains process information. And right. perhaps, perhaps how that could be manipulated or exploited. Right. Right. Yeah. That they're doing that. So what's next yeah. for you? Oh boy, I've got way too many irons in the fire. <laughs> um, uh, we're just wrapping up work on the ufology tarot. I did the a couple of entries for it, uh, and uh, there's also a uh, an accompanying coffee table book that's coming out. That's part of a Kickstarter campaign. Um, so I don't know if any any of that's going to be available for purchase, but we're sort of putting the finishing touches on that. So that's been occupying a lot of my brain space. Um, I'm partnering uh, with Barbara Fisher on a book. I've got something else coming out with Jeremy Jeremy Renner. Now you know it. <laughs> Timothy Renner again. Uh, we have a couple of projects lined up, and uh, I should be partnering with Allison Jornlin uh, coming up soon as well. Uh, I don't know yeah. how I'm going to. I don't know how I'm going to juggle all those things because I've also gotten a wild idea to try and write a novel. So <laughs> I've got way too many things on my plate right now. Um, so there's all that going on, but, uh, in addition to that, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actively pursuing a lot more field work because it's been a long time since my, uh, supernatural cup has been filled, so to speak. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know if you found that. So it'd be interesting to hear it. But like, do you find that the longer you go without experiencing something, the more you start to have these intrusive thoughts of like, you know, maybe this isn't because I've had some stuff happen to me that was very objectively real that happened. Like I know, I know what happened to me. Right. Right. But the further I get away from it, it's like, well, did that really happen the way I thought it did? You know, and I have right, to remind right, my, right. I, have, I have to remind myself the way that I felt the next morning, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I've got to do the same thing. Cause we, you know, um, COVID hit, we stopped going out yeah. and then I got busy with this two, you know, that went two, three years ago and I haven't really been out. So, I mean, yeah. I got to get back out. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it is important. You know, I think that there's, Let's put it this way. I think the people that say that we don't need sort of paranormal scholars mm-hmm. are wrong. And I think the people who say that we don't need paranormal field researchers are also wrong. Like, I think you need a, a healthy balance of that. And I've definitely sure. been favoring the former more than the latter. So I've been doing a little bit more field work. Um, still haven't had anything happen yet. But, uh, you know, I have some stuff in my past that I can remember. And hopefully there's some stuff in the future as well. There you go. How can people find you, sir? Uh, my website is joshuacutchin.com, J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. Um, a list of all my appearances on podcasts and such can be found there. Uh, also, if you would like to pick up copies of Ecology of Souls, you can write me and I can you can purchase them directly for me at a discount if you buy two or three copies. Um I say two or three copies because it's a little bit confusing. <laughs> it's available on Amazon as one ebook of combined volumes one and two, or as print volume one, print volume two, and the optional print companion. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the print, the, the uh, companion with all the references and notes is freely available on my website. So, um, but if you want to get all that from me, uh, Amazon doesn't allow you to like bundle purchases together for some reason. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like a missed opportunity, but like if you buy them for me, you get at a discount if you buy the, you know, the whole set, either two or all three. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll have to get you back on an, another time. Sounds and great. So Absolute busy. pleasure. It's so fun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little bit busy, but yeah, it's, this has been great. Thank you so much. All right, Joshua. Thank you right. so much. Have, you have a good rest of your evening. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. That was, it's always fascinating to talk to him and he's always so busy. Always, always, always. Tomorrow night, I have a surprise guest coming on. Now, is it going to be a surprise guest or am I going to be reading from the uh, Salem Witch book? We don't know yet. So you're going to have to tune in to find out. But it should be an interesting night either way tomorrow night. So that'll be at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And uh, I'm uh, looking forward to having you guys here. Uh, the chat room tonight, thank you so much, uh, Marisa, for being here. And uh, John, I think it's John. I can't see. See, I told you my glasses are horrible. There we go. Yeah, John, thank you for coming in the chat room. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it tremendously. Um, again, I will see you tomorrow night at uh, 6.30 p.m. Pacific with uh the surprise guest or like i said will i be reading or will it be a surprise guest i just feel like doing something like that tomorrow to tease you guys in the coming in to watch the show so i will see you and have a good evening and oh yes i forgot see, I'm, I'm missing my plugs i'm missing everything here whoa uh if you like the show share it with five people if you hated the show share it with five of your enemies we're equal opportunity here at california haunts radio so we're just trying to get the word out on the show and again if you were watching from facebook and you liked what you saw, please be sure to hit the like button and to hit the follow button. I'm looking for followers, whether you're on my page or you're on California Haunts Ghostly Event page, please be sure to follow. Um, If you're watching from YouTube again, 
click on that little ghost in the bottom right hand corner if you haven't done so already to subscribe and uh, that'll subscribe you all right okay well i will see you tomorrow 6 30 p.m pacific have a good night